Good morning. Hey, it's a student, it's graduation recognition Sunday for our student ministry. We got students graduating, um, Sam and Emma. Yay, congratulations, Emma. There you are. There you are. You guys, I'm getting old, can't see my glasses on or off, but I can see my notes with them off. I can't see you, but I can see it, see it. So I squint and find you. Congratulations, race well ran because you finished. Well done. Uh, and and uh, I, I told uh, I told Sam a few minutes ago I'm I'm speaking to you guys. Em, I'm speaking to you. Sam, I'm speaking to you. But I'm speaking to all of you too, uh, because Luke chapter ten verse one to sixteen doesn't just apply to them; it applies to all of us. So this 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 passage is for Three Rivers Church, but particularly and specifically, Sam and Emma, I want I want you to take heart. I've got copies of these notes. I normally use my iPad, uh, and I'm going to give you a rough, just rough copies, uh, because uh, I don't want them to be pretty. I don't want you to hang them up anywhere. I don't want you to. I want you to stick them in the back of your Bible, uh, and and when you check in on campus. Uh, and you wonder, what am I supposed to do today? I want you to get this sheet out and look at it. And I want you to read Luke 10, 1 to 16 and go, okay, I've got my marching orders today. I know what to do today. So so Emma and Sam, I'm going to give these to you uh, in, in a little bit. Uh, the rest of you, um, pay attention too because this is for all of us. So Luke chapter 10, verse 1 to 16. I'm going to read it. I'm going to go back. And in my remaining 34 minutes, I'm going to give you 14 points of action uh, and there's more. <laughs> I just got it down to 14. You know, I don't want to cheat you. Here we go. Luke 10, 1 to 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Mm. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. (laughs) Wow. 
The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Student graduation commissioning. So today the reality is we're we're commissioning you. In a great sense, you're not leaving us. You're going to be around. You're going to be around. But you're moving on to a new phase of life. You're moving into a new era of living that requires new things. It requires a new level of maturity. It's going to require a new level of engagement. And I want to say this as a banner over the top of these points of application for you. Don't wait until your 40s to get on mission. Generational studies of Western civilization suggest that most of us in our 20s, when we were in our 20s, we were struggling to find a direction, and we kind of floundered around in our 20s and tried to survive. When we got to our 30s, we found that we did a few things well, and we found success in a few of them, and the challenge wasn't so much being successful, it was trying to focus. In our 40s, we determined the one thing we did well, and we set our mind and our hearts and our hands to it. In our 50s, we hit our stride. And for most of us in Western civilization, about the time we get good at something is about the time our finances allow us to quit and then go waste our life doing nothing. But if you will observe the world around you, the world is ran by 70 and 80 year old women and men, not people in retirement. Think about it. The world is ran by 70 year old tired men and women. So I want to say to you, Sam, and I want to say to you, Emma, don't live life to quit when you get good. And if you're in your 50s in here, don't even think about quitting. You've just now got something to share. We spend our lives in our 20s and our 30s being not smart, making bad decisions, thinking we know everything because we have a degree and know nothing. And just about the time we get something worth sharing, we start checking out. So what I want to do is give you Jesus' instruction from Luke 10, 1 to 16, on how to not check out, but how to be on mission today. So if, if you're not graduate, students, still in still middle school, high school, if you're in college, you're graduating, if you've just graduated trying to find a job, if you're in a job, if you are retired, whatever phase you find yourself in, all of these have application for you. So let's all tune in and hear what the Lord has to say. So here's application point number one. These are 14 sermons. And I'm going to give them to you as 14 quick hitters, okay? And so here we go. Number one, in verse one, you need to believe, all right? So your beliefs affect how you act. If they don't, you don't believe it, okay? Don't say, I believe, when you don't do If you say you believe and don't do, you don't believe. In the Bible, there's no such thing as beliefs divorced from action. Okay? So so Jesus wants you to believe some stuff here. So believe, number one, believe that as followers of Jesus Christ, you're appointed and you're sent on mission. After this, after what? Chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. And we get a report on their ministry. And then Jesus teaches on the backside of that ministry. He takes 
from their ministry and he begins to teach them. And in chapter 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. You need to believe that you're appointed and sent. If Jesus doesn't send out 72 unnamed people here, we may be tempted to think that Jesus only sends the special 12. That there's a special class of missionary. That there's a special few who are supposed to do the work while the rest of us clap and cheer them on. But after this, Jesus appointed, and this word sin is the word apostle. He apostolized 72 unnamed people. Meaning, Jesus is closing this concept of a gap between special Christians and the rest of us. Jesus appointed, he chose, and he apostled 72 others. And he sent them on out ahead of himself. So I want you all to recognize, if you're in Christ, you've been appointed and you've been sent. And we're going to spend a lot of time unpacking Ephesians 4 and the ascension gifts of Christ, one of which is apostleship. We're Southern Baptists, and we don't talk about the gift of apostleship because we have weirdos in our country who call themselves apostles, and they fly on $55 million Gulf streams because they're demons and coach, right? That Go YouTube that, seriously, right? There are fools out there who say this kind of stuff. That's not what the Bible teaches about apostleship. The word apostle means sent. And he didn't just send 12. He sent the whole church. In a very real sense, the church of Jesus Christ is to be apostolic. That's why in some of the old creeds, we're not a creedal fellowship because we're Southern Baptists. And that's good. I'm not beating down. I'm proud of our tribe. But, but the creeds of the church speak about the apostolic church. Why? Is that just an old word? No, it, it means sent. The sent church. The church is to be sent. Okay? So you need to understand, all of us in this room, if you're in Christ, you've been appointed and you've been sent. You need to believe that. You get that in your belief structure, and your value system. I'm not to be sedentary in the faith. I'm not to be consuming in the faith. I'm appointed and sent. I'm a missionary. So believe that. Sam, Emma, we're sending you. You're appointed and sent because you're in Christ for no other reason. All right? Number two, life on mission is a team sport. Jesus appointed and he sent. I want to really dive into on ahead of him, but I don't have time because I got 14 of these things. You just, you got to go do your own study. But how did he do that? He sent them on ahead of him two by two. Two by two. Life on mission is a team sport. There's no such thing as individual Christianity. It's community Christianity because we're created in the Trinitarian image of God. You hear this from us all the time. And because we're created in the Trinitarian image of God, God himself abides in three distinct persons, yet one God, perfect fellowship and harmony with one another, and then he creates us in his image, right? Male and female in his image, he created them. And then he didn't just save individuals, he saves a church, so therefore, Jesus doesn't send out individuals. He sends them out in teams. Understand that life on mission is a team sport. You do it in the church, and inside the church, you do it in groups. 
There's all kinds of practical reasons why this worked. I'm totally convinced the, why, the reason we get more bold if we work together is because it's Trinitarian. The reason we get timid alone is because it's not intended to be done alone. God's not Unitarian. He's Trinitarian. Then there's power and authority when we together in teams work together for the evangelization of the world. You know the experience. You're bolder when you're with someone, aren't you? You're not afraid you're with someone. Why? Because it's Trinitarian when we're together. It's image of God, right? And so it's a team sport, so don't do this alone. As soon as you get where you're supposed to be, get connected to people that are going to help you stay on task. Covenant fellowship inside a local church is absolutely essential to Christianity. It is the essence of Christianity. Number three, believe. You need to believe that there's more than enough work to do. Verse two. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You need to believe there's more than enough work. It's easy for us as Christians to find our little spot and think it's ours and we need to hold on to it. It's mine. Jesus is letting them know there's more than enough work to go around. The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. A couple questions I asked. I would love if the Lord would answer these questions here. A couple questions I have about what he taught them here. How can this be? If Jesus sends everybody, how can the laborers be few? I want to let you wrestle with that question. If he sends the whole church, why are laborers few? The answers to that are maybe a little uncomfortable, and it's a sermon in and of itself. So recognize this. You don't have to guard your turf. There's more than enough work for you to do. Number four, also found in verse two, we pray. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. Listen, we do corporate prayer. And corporate prayer means we pray for corporate things, like big things. We don't pray for your sicknesses and your diseases. You do that inside your small group. That's individual personal prayer. Corporate prayer is large scale. The mission of the church. The mission of the kingdom of God. One of the things you need to learn to do in your prayer time is not just pray for me, myself, and I, but pray for the global scope of God's work. Jesus taught us here, starting out, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest, and absolutely adore the fact that Jesus calls himself the master of the harvest. I mean, the harvest isn't up to us, it's up to him. He's Lord of it. So ask him to send laborers. So the key to successful mission is ask the Lord, Lord, would you send more? Would you send somebody to work alongside me, Jesus? Harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, therefore, Jesus said, you see the problem? There's lots to do. Not enough to do it. What do we do? Put a sign-up sheet in the back? Maybe, yeah. It's not bad. But if the sign-up sheet comes in front of asking the Lord of the harvest to send people to the sheet, we got an idol. And it's my labor. Let's go to him. So we're here, and and, and the pastor every week is leading you in corporate prayer. Don't sit there quiet. That's not meditation time. That's Jesus. We need you to help us. And I want to invite you to do it out loud. I know that might make some of you uncomfortable. Pray. Ask Jesus. Let's call on him. It's corporate prayer time. One of the things I love about the world and being involved around the world like we are, we get around brothers and sisters in other countries. Prayer for them is a very physical thing. And it's very loud. And, 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 and we're concerned about understanding what's being prayed. They're concerned that Jesus hears them. 
And so they're not worried about what their neighbor's praying. They figure Jesus sort that out somewhere up there. They just pray. And I just want to invite you, call on the Lord. No greater thing that happened this morning than when Pastor Justin was saying, let's pray for these things. That you say, Jesus, the harvest is plentiful, laborers are few. Send us, Lord. Make our influence greater somehow. And the Lord of the harvest is able. He's able. So, Sam and Emma, pray. Ask the Lord, send me people. Send me somebody to walk with me. Pray. Number five, find in verse three. Get after it. Get after it. Too much hanging around. Too much, I don't know what to do. Do something. Paralyzed by fear. Listen to me. Failure is your greatest asset. We're paralyzed by failure in this because we have false expectations that success equals some numerical leap or financial gain. Biblically, success is obedience to Jesus Christ, regardless of the outcome. Because if, if you want a book of success, people, this isn't your book. There's only one hero in the text, and it's Jesus. Everybody else failed miserably. And if you live life afraid to fail, you will be worthless in life. Your greatest teacher will be failure. Fail. You know how you can tell somebody that's getting after it is they're failing. And what we like to do is take failure and say don't do it or look how awful that was. You did a terrible job. But you know what I want to say? At least they're doing something. While everybody else is discernment blogging. I just want to, oh man. So get after it. Don't waste your life procrastinating. Live on mission. Jesus said go your way. Go your way. I find it interesting. He sent them to these places where he himself was about to come. And then he said, go your way. In other words, go. Get after it. Get there. He didn't tell them how to get there. He just said, go get there. Very rarely will Jesus show you how to do it. He's going to tell you to go do it. And then trust you to ask the Lord of the harvest to make it happen. He doesn't lay it out for you. He just doesn't. The text isn't full of those specific instructions. He says, go disciple the nations. And leaves us with the task. And then we're like, how? By going? Okay. Alright. So listen, get after it. Go. You, you know what you're supposed to do. So do something. Take a step. Move in obedience. I'm convinced the Lord doesn't show us steps often because we won't take the first one. We want a fail-proof plan that's easy. And those just don't exist. They're not there. Get after it. Don't waste your life procrastinating. Live on mission. You can start that today. Wherever you are. Whoever you are. Number six. Found in verse three also. Believe that Jesus' way is often dangerous and full of risk. Embrace it. Behold. This makes me get emotional. Because this is so opposite of everything we value. I want you to listen carefully to what Jesus says. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as powerful people, unable to be hurt in a world that's easier than you. I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Do you understand the relationship between a lamb and a wolf? That's key here. If you don't know what a lamb is or a wolf is, you're like, I don't understand. If you don't know that lambs are eaten by wolves, you don't understand. 
If you don't understand that lambs are susceptible, weak creatures. Fascinating study in the Psalms. David is a shepherd, right? You guys know about David? David wrote the 23rd Psalm. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. David's a shepherd. He's writing from this perspective. And David says some really cool things about sheep. He talks about, uh, uh, in some of the Psalms, he says, My soul, do not be cast down. Right? It's easy for us to read that and read on top of that some kind of emotional state. From a shepherd's perspective, you know what cast down means? Cast is a sheep that its wool has gotten too heavy and it hadn't been sheared and it falls down and it's unable to stand up. That's a cast sheep. And he's saying, my soul, don't be cast down. Others, don't be heavily laid down and burdened to this place that I'm now susceptible to this war because at that point a sheep's underbelly that's soft is exposed and every predator has open target. And David's saying, in other words, don't get yourself in this absolute place where you're susceptible to the war. Fight. Be engaged. Jesus said here, I'm sending you out in that vulnerable state. I'm sending you out like a sheep, so don't get cast down. Don't get yourself weighed down like this. And there are a hundred things that will do that. Sin will do that to you. Sin will weigh you down. It will cast you down. Disobedience will cast you down and make you susceptible. Jesus said here, I'm sending you out vulnerable though. It's the way of the cross. Jesus didn't come as a wolf in the midst of lambs. He came as the Lamb of God amidst wolves. And He willingly went to the cross and set the pace for us on the life we're to live. It's a cross-soaked life. Meaning we're to be people that embrace risk. We embrace failure and we go in a dangerous way. If we value safety, we will never do the Great Commission. If we value risk, you can't stop us. So realize God's way is going to be dangerous. Parents, stop pushing your kids to finances and push them to obedience. I'm convinced most of our kids probably have a good idea if we'll be fair with them, what God's called them to be and do. The problem with many of us is we recognize those trades or those jobs don't make a bunch of money. We're more concerned that they have some level of financial security one day than we are that they obey Jesus who can give them financial security. Push them to what God made them to be and do, not what you think they ought to be and do. And that's often going to be embracing risk, embracing danger. Number seven, verse four, trust Jesus to provide what you can't. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Now Jesus is later going to tell them, it's time to mount up, boys. Now you're going to need some stuff, some resources. In this particular instance, Jesus tells them this is, this is a short-term deal. I'm going to send you out. You're to report back. So in this instance, you're not to carry these supplies. And later on, he's going to tell them, you're going to lean on me to supply it through people you connect to where you go. Here's the point here. Trust Jesus to provide what you can. That's the point. If you go out carrying all you need and you go in my name, it looks like I can't do for you. Thereby making me look weak. The whole point is the exhortation of Jesus. So let Jesus provide what you can't. Let Jesus be your provider. This is not an invitation to folly. It's an invitation to follow Jesus in obedience. 
And the Bible's full of what we're to do. Just in this instance, they were to go out and let Jesus do the providing. Listen, there are going to be times in your life Jesus is going to be explicit with you. This is the danger of reading your Bible. As the Holy Spirit will meet you on those pages. And He'll say things to you. And He may every now and then say, hey, don't worry about that. I got that covered. And you're like, but Jesus, that ain't no... I got that covered isn't a plan. And you're going to hear Him clearly. And you're faced with this, what do I do? It's a crisis moment. Do I obey the Lord? Or am I just going to talk this away as though that didn't happen? I don't know you've got to answer that question. Let Jesus provide what you can. Number eight, be urgent. Be urgent. Don't let non-necessities impede you. Jesus said this really strange thing here, like greet no one on the road. It sounds like Jesus is saying be a jerk. Be aloof. It's not what he's saying. Uh, when he says greet no one on the road... Uh, you can go back and look in a particular reference, Second Kings four twenty nine. Um, they're on a journey, and they greet some people, and these greetings get tedious. And if you've ever worked around the world and been in some different places where they value honor and shame, you'll notice that sometimes when they greet one another, everything gets sidetracked because they get in this eye to eye, face to face. And in our particular country, where we started focusing on seventeen years ago. They'll spend two, three, four minutes just back, oh, your eyes. And they say weird things, strange things, like your eyes are beautiful. And it's like two dudes are telling eyes are beautiful. We're weird about that, right? But what they mean is you see well, you're a wise person, you view the world rightly. And they just go back and forth, just shaking hands, hugging, giving the, the greeting one another with a kiss. And your eyes are beautiful. Your family's amazing. You see the world right. You're, and, and just all, on and on and on. And you're standing there going, this is strange and weird. Got somewhere to be. Let's go. What Jesus is saying here is these greetings in this context that are tedious and complicated and often turn into, particularly the Second Kings passage, you have to go look at it, Second Kings 4.29, they turn out to be meddlesome and they turn out to be places where you start bargaining on things. And in this context, what Jesus is saying, you're going to run into this. And what you need to do is avoid that because I have a mission I've sent you on. In other words, be urgent. Don't let non-necessity sidetrack you. There are times you're going to have to read your culture. Listen, this right here is a little bit of an area where it's like, I'm not sure what to do. You've got to read your culture. You've got to know what you're supposed to do. There are times you need to get caught up in some non-necessities because it's important for you to build a relationship in a context that that's important. Then there are times there are just things that are not necessary. And listen, this is where there's just no explicit instruction on how to navigate that. You're going to have to ask the Lord to help you. Lord, do I need to get caught up here or do I need to move on? Jesus' point, his whole point is this, be urgent. Be asking those questions. Be looking. Make sure you're on task. Stay on mission. If you get caught up, don't let your eyes get caught here. Stay out there. He gave you a task to do. Get after it. In other words, be urgent. I can't say enough. Be urgent. There's an urgency to the mission. Jesus hasn't given us the privilege of sitting back and going, well, we got it taken care of. My kids are all going to heaven. I guess we're good. No, no, no. Bear down. Be urgent. There's a mission at hand. There's something to do. There are nations to be reached. So be urgent. Be urgent. And don't hear, never rest. Obey the whole Bible. Right? In your, you need to sometimes urgently rest. Right? But be urgent. In other words, be on task. Don't let non-necessities impede you. You know the challenges of a prosperous life? 
is there are myriads of non-necessities that will rob you of urgency. This is one of the reasons why around the world where our brothers and sisters that don't have much are so much more spiritually prosperous than us is because they don't have a myriad of non-necessities vying for their time. It's food, clothing, shelter, let's go. Here it's food, what kind? How much? Which one? Clothing, mm, I got so much I need to take some to Goodwill. All right? Entertainment. And then we start, it starts crowding in and creeping in and then we start talking about busy. I'm busy. As though these things are necessary. Our problem is we view non-necessities as necessary and it kills our urgency. Jesus said, don't, don't, don't greet them. On, don't, don't get caught up in that. Stay on task. Listen, Emma, Sam, build your life around urgency. Build your life around that kind of urgency. Number nine, look for people who will befriend you and invest there. Verse five to seven, Jesus gives this really strange instruction. Whatever house you enter, I don't know about you, but you, I'm asking some questions. What do you mean what house? Whose house? I'd like a little clarity here, Lord. Whatever house you enter, um, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer to serve his wages. Do not go from house to house. Look for people who befriend you and invest there. This little phrase, son of peace, is a, a literary device called a Hebraism. You find it in the Hebrew language particularly. And it speaks particularly about a head of house. So in other words, those people who first heard Jesus say this and wrote this down, they understood that implicitly. Um, and so you need a little bit of digging here to go find what does Jesus mean by son of peace. In other words, if a head is there who will have you, a person in charge... Stay with them. What in the world does Jesus mean here? Jesus' point is this. Two things. Number one, a son of peace may or may not be a follower of the Lord Jesus. In other words, when you go out and you start meeting people, and if there's a person who's in charge who will have you, invest there. Invest there. And don't waste your time flittering about from place to place or person to person. If they'll have you, be with them and invest there. Say, so, okay, what, okay, what the heck does that mean? What am I supposed to do with that? Here's a practice. This is great. This is how. This is fun time walking with Jesus. Ready? Try this. I'm serious. Try this this week. Go somewhere where you don't know anybody. And insert yourself into some situation where you have to engage with people. And see what sticks. See what sticks. And if there's a person who's in charge. Or maybe they're influential. Maybe they're not. But maybe they're a personality that stands out or sticks out. And they're willing to spend time with you. Attach yourself to them. And don't bounce around from people to people. Plant your life there and see what happens. Let me give you an example. This is, this is, this is just me though, okay? This is just me. I'm not telling you you need to do this. I'm saying this is what I do, okay? And you, you've reaped from it. You've experienced it with me. Two weeks ago, when my friend came downstairs, the imam, and he taught us about, right? You guys, right? You know how that happened? I went to his mosque. 
and I know how to act. So I took my shoes off and I went in at the time of prayer and I sat in the back and I met him. And he didn't kick me out. And so we started having lunch. And next thing you know, I'm wanting to baptize him. And he's wanting me to pray the Shahada. And then he's speaking at your church. He's a son of peace. And I'm not going to flitter from person to person. I'm going to plant my life there and see what happens. And some of you ladies, I'm going to share with you, you asked him particularly for his wife's information. He was pleased to give that. So I'm going to get that to you so you can talk to his wife. Right? People of peace. So Sam and Emma, insert your life places and see who Jesus makes stick. And even better if they're not a Christian. Because Jesus isn't going to tell you what to do next, right? So y'all try that. You say, okay, I, I did it. I went there. And now there's somebody in my life. What do I do next? Well, lo and behold, Jesus has instruction. You ready? We're getting ready. The, the, the next thing is not what you think it may be. But what you think is coming. So hang out. Number 10. In order to do that, you're going to have to be adaptable. Verse 8. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. All right? So in this instance, hospitality is expected. In this context, if you went into somebody's home, they were wired to receive guests they didn't know. It was part of the culture. Somebody's traveling from place to place. It's dark. They start looking for a home that's friendly. And people just expected that. And they were always ready to receive people into their homes. It's just the way it was. And Jesus is saying, when you go out and you're looking for these heads of homes, you're looking for these influential people, and somebody invites you to their house, eat whatever's set before you. Don't ask any questions. Because for these cats, it could be a Gentile who might serve them pig. What are you supposed to do? I don't eat pig. No, Jesus says eat whatever they set before you. Do it. Just do it. Jesus, even in this very small instance, is starting to break them away from these things that will keep them from being successful on the task. You don't eat pig? Too bad you better get over it because somebody's going to serve it to you and you need to eat it. Listen, you're going to have to learn to be adaptable. Sam, Emma, be adaptable. Learn to adapt. Learn to adapt. I put in my notes here, learn to love yak butter tea. A few years ago when we were there, first time we're getting, where we have a team now. A team now, there. They're there now. And so, uh, Jordan, you here? Jordan, there you are. Remember how cold we were? I couldn't stop shaking. We had trekked all day in rain and cold in the Himalaya mountains. And we entered this village that is absolutely a 2,000-year throwback. 2,000-year throwback, man. And we're wet and we're cold. And, they and, and dude, I, I tip, may not drink yak butter tea outside of there. But when I'm cold, shivering, and wet, I'm not turning down hot yak butter tea. And at that moment, that warm, salty Tea, stuff, silky smooth, went down my gullet into my stomach, and it was awesome. And I was thankful for yak butter tea. Adapt yourself, or you'll freeze to death in the Himalaya Mountains. Right? Now, be adaptable. Learn to shift. Learn to shift. Be adaptable, because if you're going to join Jesus on this mission, it's not going to happen the way you think it ought to happen. You're not always going to be able to control your circumstances. You have to walk with Jesus and learn to adapt. Number 11. This is the one you're probably expecting. Verse 9. Heal and preach. Heal the sick in it and say. Heal and say. 
heal the sick, and say to them, what am I, what am I supposed to say? The kingdom of God has come near you today. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, I flat out just took that passage and lifted it out of the text. And the first time I met Nadim in his mosque, I said, Nadim, today the kingdom of God has come near to you. I just said it. I was like, Jesus, I'm going to take, this may be literal not, I don't know, I'm just going to say it. Nadim, I believe the kingdom of God has come near to you today. I was kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> he didn't say no. I said, okay, that's good, that's good. It's good. So heal. What does Jesus mean? The word heal is the word therapy. It means to take care of, to wait on. We often read on that signs and wonders, and Jesus has something a little deeper and richer in, in mind. We, we want to think about signs and wonders as the deeper and richer. And we miss the fact that signs and wonders aren't for all cultures, all places, and all times. But you know what is? Your ability to fix things that are broken. They don't have water. Give them water. Jesus will do this in Matthew 25. They're naked, clothe them. They're in prison. What? What did Jesus say? Visit them. Heal. Be a therapeutic entrance into their life. So what you've got to learn to do is read where you are, what's broken here, and what can I do to fix it. Be that agent of the kingdom. Be that one who fixes the things that are broken. Do what you can and only what you can. Don't do what you can't do. Jesus didn't call you to do what you can't do. He called you to do what you could. Amen. Just simply do what you can. That's all you got to do. Don't worry about what somebody else needs to do. You do what God gave you to do. Fix what you can. If they need clothing, give them clothes. Don't worry about... Just do what you can in the moment. If they're starving, give them something to eat. Just do what you can. Heal. Be a source of therapy. And then say to them. This word say is the word lego. It means to lay down. Literally means to lay down. When it's applied to speech, it means to lay it down. Speak a definite message. In other words, say to them, the kingdom of Jesus Christ has come near to you right now. I find it absolutely fascinating that Jesus didn't drop the Roman road on anybody. And people still got saved. That, that ought to make you start wondering about maybe my evangelistic methods. Maybe the first thing you need to do isn't work them through 27 points of justification. It's simply saying that food you're enjoying right now, I want you to understand that's a taste of the rule of Jesus Christ and the fixing he can do internally, externally, and all around the world. Just do what you can at the moment. Heal and say to them, Jesus Christ and his kingdom is coming near in this moment. Start quickly. We wait too long to introduce Jesus. It is no good to build a relationship if you don't introduce Jesus. I introduce them quick to Jesus. Bring Jesus up fast. And if you're ashamed of Jesus, are you even a Christian? Bring him up quickly. He's the healer. My healing will go away fast. <laughs> They're going to be hungry again. Going to wear out clothes. But Jesus is the bread of life. And he's the, the water that will make them never get thirsty again. Get Jesus in quickly. Heal and preach. Lay it down. Lay down the message. Don't be ashamed. Isn't it funny how our strategies are counter Jesus? We come up with all these evangelistic strategies. And we got all these things. And you start reading Jesus. And you go, that's not what Jesus said. 
Do what Jesus says. Right? 13, no, no, number 12. Found in verse 10 to 12, don't lose your prophetic voice. Jesus says whenever you're in a town and they don't receive you, go in its streets and say even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you to be more bearable in that day for Sodom than for that town. That's Jesus giving some commentary on what he told them to say. You're not supposed to say verse 12. That's Jesus saying, when they reject you, bad things are coming. Don't lose your prophetic voice. Quite literally, in Jesus' world in this time, to shake the dust off your feet was to speak a difficult word to them. It was, it was saying that you're close to judgment. That doesn't play well, does it? In our time and place. But Jesus taught us if we're on mission, there's a time and place to have a prophetic voice to speak hard things. And the reason I put that title here over this section, don't lose your prophetic voice, is because sometimes it's not so much letting them know they're directly under the condemnation of God. Sometimes where we live, it's speaking to people who think they're Christians and they're not about their idols. And, and, and people have asked me before, I say that language, I say prophetic voice, and they don't know, they're like, what does that mean, prophetic voice? And the simplest way I can say it to you is go read Amos. Go read Isaiah. Go read Ezekiel. Go read Daniel. What is a prophetic voice? It's the ability to speak to your culture the hard things it needs to hear. There is no good news without bad news. The good news is exceptionally good because there's some really bad news. And sometimes we need to speak that. And there are things we can do to cut off a prophetic voice. Capitulating. Letting that idol win the day. A desire to make people happy. A refusal to let failure take its course. I could list, I could, this is a whole sermon about not losing your prophetic voice. Don't lose your prophetic voice. Maintain it. Be holy. Be righteous. Be biblical. So that when the time arises, you can speak to the things you need to speak to. I'm going to say this to you. Remember, the author of this passage got hung on a tree. Now, the good news is he he rose and he's alive because he's God. But sometimes his followers who imitate him don't get treated in such fashion. We don't get raised back up. We just get to die with the promise that he will raise us up on the last day. Don't fear. Keep your prophetic voice. Keep your prophetic voice. Don't sacrifice your prophetic voice. Don't lay it down just to make people happy. Listen. If if you want people to just like you, Don't follow Jesus. Go sell ice cream. But if you want God to like you, do what Jesus says to do and let him sort everything else out. Listen, that's not a license to be a jerk. I'm not saying that. Don't hear that. I'm saying there are times if you follow Jesus, people are not going to like you. Don't lose your prophetic voice. 
I'm going to give you one example. I'm really out of, really out of time, but I, I, I feel like I need to say this to you. It's in my notes. Because um, I wanted to give you an example, okay? We, we have two words we use in, in, our, in our context here. We, we, uh, we talk about sacred and we talk about secular, secularity, right? Can I just encourage you to lose the word secular from your vocabulary? Here's why. Now, I don't know if you even know the history of that word. The whole word secular is a word philosophically that was created to define culture that's neutral. It's neutral. It, it doesn't affirm anything. But let me point out something to you. I need to put your thinking hat on, okay? Ready? Everybody, let's put on our thinking hat. Everybody try it with me. And we're thinking. All right, here we go. Thinking hat on. It's neutral. It's supposed to be neutral. But what can't you do in secular culture? You can't speak about Jesus. Is that neutral? Come on. No, it's not neutral. It's in fact pagan. So if you started calling secularity idolatrous paganism, you think that's going to render good for you on Twitter? No. Negative. Negative, right? No. Just an example. Now, there's a way to say that, but here's my point. You need to be able to read your culture. You need to be able to see things like that, and you need to be able to speak to it. You need to speak to it. Jesus called us to speak to those things. There's, there's more than Luke 10, 1 to 16. There's the rest of your Bible. There's a place for us to speak culturally against those things. There's no such thing as secular. It's Christian or pagan. Because the idols and demons of those things... Go read Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians, actually 2 Corinthians 10. Go read Paul when he speaks about food sacrifice to idols and the source of that stuff. He just flat out quoting Deuteronomy. It's demonic. So if it's neutral, meaning Jesus is excluded, it's not really neutral. It's pagan. It's demonic. It's excluding the way, the truth, and the life. And you need to maintain a voice to speak to that. If you let that go, you let darkness win. Are you tracking? You tracking with me? All right. So don't lose your prophetic voice. Use it. Number 13. We're going to go quickly here. Believe. You need to believe this. Believe that as Jesus' ambassador of the gospel, you are speaking with his voice and his call. This is the confidence you have. Is that it's not just you. It's Jesus speaking through you. Listen to this. The one who hears you, hears me. That cool? That's what the Lord said. If they hear you, they hear me. When you speak the gospel of the kingdom, you're speaking the voice and call of Jesus Christ. You need to believe that. That you're, A, you shouldn't be alone. You're in community, but you got Jesus there. When they hear you, they hear him. You speak with the voice and the call of the Lord. And finally, don't take rejection personal. It's Jesus they're rejecting. So the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. 
And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So be encouraged. It's not personal. It might feel personal. It's not. The truth is, if you speak the good news and you do Jesus' work, it's not you they reject. It's Jesus they reject. And that will allow you the emotional stability to say, you know what, it's all good. It's that kind of mentality that helps you fail and fail well. Because here's the deal. You know, baseball fans, you know, a 300 hitter, guy who hits 300 in, in Major League Baseball will probably be a Hall of Famer. Do you understand that person fails at the rate of 700? It's crazy, isn't it? Crazy. A person who fails at the rate of 700 is going to make it in the Hall of Fame, yeah. Right. Major League Baseball player can't be afraid of striking out. Basketball player. What? Shoot or shoot, right? A good shooter don't listen to don't shoot the ball. Shooter like, shoot, that rock going up. If I got if I got an inch of space, I'm shooting the rock, right? Shoot or shoot, right? Ball never goes in, you don't shoot it, right? <laughs> right? Shoot or shoot. Yeah, shoot the ball, right? And, and the truth of the matter is, it don't always go in. But if that fear keeps you from shooting, you ain't going to ever score, right? So listen, failure is not evidence God's absent. Failure is just the way it is. And you believe, if you speak that message, it's Jesus speaking through you. If they reject you, it's not personal. They're rejecting Him. It'll be tough. Stay after it. Get after it. Keep Jesus front and center. And you'll have a life well lived. Okay? That's worship. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you will help us to make much of you in our lives, our living, that we won't just, uh, that we won't just, uh, yeah, we won't just say things, but we'll live them out, that we'll say and we'll do. So Lord, help us today who claim the name Christian to take you, Jesus, seriously in the call for all of us to be appointed and sent. So Lord, I pray today that as we worship, that you would give us all the strength we need to be encouraged, to be motivated. That when we leave here today, we're ambassadors, we're agents, we're appointed, we're apostolically sent. Lord, build that in us as we sing. As we sing, let our courage rise up. As we worship, let our joy rise up. Lord, I pray this morning that you would move your people to, to live that kind of life. Where there's need for encouragement, would you provide it? Where there's need for correction, would you provide it? Where there's need for maybe just a little bit more clarity, would you give it? Where there's need for courage to step, would you provide it? Lord, make this time sweet. Make it rich. Make the atmosphere thick. Lord, I pray against the enemy, against sin, against rebellion. And ask you, Holy Spirit, to knock those things down and let the atmosphere in this time, these few minutes corporately gathered to make much of you be rich and good and sweet and enjoyable. To provide all those things we just ask you for. Move your people, Jesus. Fill us. Send us. Make your kingdom.